Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18 and our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 3. Powered by Instat Hockey, our from the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. And Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and study to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. So in this show, we're going to discuss our top 32 list. So Brad's going to talk about HockeyProspect.com's top 32 list. I'm going to talk about mine and we're going to rank them down from 1 to 32. So we're going to, this is the time where we explain ourselves, why we did it. Uh, Why did we put that player there? Because the lists are all out for everyone to see. So it's, uh, you know, just like Lucy. Lucy, you have some explaining to do. So we have some explaining to do. Uh, well, look, let's start at number one. Pretty obvious. Uh, that's Connor, but we both have Connor Bernard, uh, you guys and me at Connor at number one. So, I mean, other than the, you know, obvious that we've talked about him in the past, you know, for me, it's like we, I pick out one thing that I thought sets him apart than everyone else in this draft class. And for me, it's just simply his deception, his ability to deceive defenders, whether it's a forward or a defenseman, when he has the puck of outweighting them and force them to make the first move, whether like where they put their stick placement, uh, how they shift their weight, you know, what direction they lean to. And the minute he sees that in a microsecond, he's a counter puncher. Like he's a, he counterattacks you and then he tears you apart and makes you look foolish. And for the defenders who can remain as patient and as long as possible, that's your chance of defending against a guy like Connor Bedard. So thoughts on thoughts on him at number one and what, you know, what sort of sets him apart in your eyes? Yeah, there's not a lot to unpack with Bedard just because, I mean, there's so much talked about with him him publicly you know he's a generational talent one of the most unique players uh, i'll say a couple of things one probably the most exciting number one pick since austin matthews um doesn't have the frame of matthews but he's he's more dynamic than matthews in some ways um one one thing that's really interesting about bedard for me is that i feel like he has more of an energy to him than matthews at times uh, matthews can can have disengage occasionally. I, I feel like Bedard just doesn't have that. Um, that's what makes him a, a pretty unique and special player. If there's any question about him, it's the wing versus center debate. Does he actually remain center long term? That's that's uh, yet to be seen. But there is there's there's some people in the industry, including myself, that think he might be more of a winger than a center long term. Fair enough. Um, at number two, you guys have Leo Carlson and I have Adam Fantilli. You know, it's a coin flip, honestly, between the two. I think they're so tight. And, you know, for, for me, Fantilli, it's just his his energy and the pace that he plays at, um, his assertiveness, um, aggressiveness in that respect, and not just in terms of hitting, but in terms of his style of play. And there's a certain aspect of that that I find appealing when you're going into the playoffs. But I'll take Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli. So it's like it's like pick whatever one you want. They're both great in their own respects. Uh, why you guys have Carlson at two? Well, we we have him ranked very similar to how the way we had Tim Stutzler ranked in 2020, which was right. that we thought Tim Stutzler was in tier one with Lafreniere. So we really thought it was a 50-50 split on who you take. That's pretty laughable in hindsight right now. Uh, you never know how development's going to go. Um, but um, Leo Carlson for us as a center, we project 
we we think it's more likely that Adam Fatili ends up a winger. Adam Fatili is much more of a reactionary player without reading the play relative to Carlson, who's a remarkable anticipator. Uh, one of the smartest players in the draft. The biggest difference between Fatili and Leo Carlson is that Leo Carlson is a much higher level of playmaking ability, much more precise, better timing, much better at operating within his playmaking windows. When you contrast him with Fatili in terms of the 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 components that are not as good, Fentili is one of the most competitive players we've ever scouted, a uh, much higher compete level than you than you, may, you would argue Leo Carlson has. Carlson's more cerebral. Fentili referred to him as basically a human hurricane, right? He comes at you yeah. in waves. He's incredibly difficult to contain, uh, remarkable skill. Uh, but the, the big thing for us, one of the huge separating factors, hockey sense, and we think that Fentili is a, uh, a winger, Leo Carlson's a center. At number four, we both have Matvey Mitchkoff. Um, and no surprise, like I think honestly, if he was North American born, he probably he might be at two. You know, there's an argument to make for him to be a two based on his skill set and the fact that goal scoring is such a premium in the NHL and you pay for it, and his ability to create offense, uh, you know, in that half court game, he's just so dynamic. It's hard not to have him at that spot. It'd be interesting to see what happens with him in terms of where he gets drafted, but in terms of pure talent, I mean, I think you agree that number four is where he should be. And if he was a North American, he arguably he could be fighting for, you know, number two. Yeah. Matthew Mishkov to me has had one of the most bizarre years I can remember because he broke records historically, but I didn't think he was actually very good this season relative to previous seasons. Uh, one thing we did as a staff was we actually went back and watched him when we thought he was better. And that actually kind of helped solidify what we are, what we thought of him. Because what happened this year was that you saw a player who got injured early. Uh, he got hit by Alexa Amelin. It was out of a 10 to 2 turn. His hips were wide open. He was trying to trying to uh, uh, create separating distance from, from uh, Emelin and couldn't. And I bring that up because that's one of the defining drawbacks of his game is the toolkit relative to Matili, relative to the top class, a little under what you would normally want. He makes up for it because he's a remarkable talent, as you mentioned, incredibly intelligent player in some respects, but his passing rates this season specifically, were not as high as you would expect. Uh, the other factor you have to take in with Matthew Mitchkov is that when you look at him uh, long-term and, and his projection, you know he's a winger. You can debate with Ventile and Carlson, winger to center. You can do that, especially with Ventile. With Matthew Mitchkov, you know he's a winger. That's why it's so easy to drive him a little farther down, especially when you factor in the toolkit. But when you look at long-term projection, uh, he could end up still being, right, as you mentioned, right there behind Bedard in terms of goal-scoring rates. They just do it very differently. But Bedard is much more of a dynamic shooter, can shoot at bizarre angles, uh, much tighter to his frame using his dexterity, using his top-bottom-hand coordination, where right. Matthew Mitchkov is much more uh, reliant on seam recognition. He's very dynamic at recognizing when goalies are about to change and switch their positions. You know, I, I, I make this statement in the book, which is that you always talk about playmakers having eyes in the back of their head. Well, that's how Matthew Mitchkov functions when it comes to shooting. When he when he's when he's timing and spinning off of pressure, he has a sixth sense recognizing goalie's position relative to his shooting location. Yeah, which is um, an oddity. It's very rare to find that in a player who can he can take a picture in his mind, spin at a like quick pace, and he understands where that player is going to be. I mean, that is you know that type of recognition, that type of processing is very rare. So I always find that really intriguing from that standpoint. So at number five. This is where you guys have Dmitry Simashev, and I have Will Smith. And as much as I obviously like, you know, I think Simashev is going to be a very good defenseman. I have Will Smith there 
it's mostly a preference of position really in terms of because Will Smith being a centerman and having that opportunity. And I would like to hopefully see him play two years in college because there's some things I think he needs to certainly work on, but you know, his dynamic ability to make plays is, and the center position, how valuable that is and how hard it is to get and trade for a potential first line center is why I, I had Will Smith at that spot uh, from that standpoint, Uh, you know, give us some background on the reasoning uh, for having Dmitry Simishev at five. From your perspective, we think we think is a very unique and, a, and in some ways dynamic top pairing defenseman. Uh, separating factors with him: athleticism, six four, two hundred pound athlete who can skate second and none. One of the best skaters in this class. Uh, one thing that's very unique about him is when you look at the projection. If you're scouting for say just next year, then he wouldn't be in the top five. But that's not what we're doing. It's five, yeah. six years. That's when you start really thinking about long term. Okay, look at K. Andre Miller's development. Look at Simon Evans's development. Look at Moritz Sider's development. You look at those players and where they were and how they've developed. If Dmitry Simashev can develop his technical playmaking skill set to another degree, and if he can become at least a functional shooter, which he currently isn't, then the ceiling is limitless because he's unbelievable at dissecting the first layer uh, when he's at the offensive blue right. line. It just comes down to the <clears> fact that much like Tyner Mollendyke, once they get past that initial layer, they lose their momentum because they don't know how to actually operate within the space that they have at, at times. And that's the reason why I had him a little bit lower. Now, not much lower, but a little bit lower because that was the part that we had discussed previously on our show. And that was the part I was un- I was uncertain of, okay, what was that ceiling? Like, how much improvement was that going to make? And I put it at a limit. And so that pushed him down to what I thought was going to be in his prime years as a number three defenseman. If, like you say, it does improve to that point, then he moves into that into that number two hole, and that changes his value dramatically. Where he could be pushing up into like he is number five, like he's a he's a top pairing D man, and that's where he should be placed, you know, fairly. So we're going to see in probably you know three or four or five years where how that all plays out. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned, and we'll count down from 6 to 10 right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. 
Contact us at FractalHockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back for our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 3, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and league worldwide. We're discussing uh, uh, HockeyProspect.com's Top 32 list and my list of Top 32. We are now at number 6. So at number six, this is where you guys have Kobe Barlow, and I have Ryan Leonard. Um, so discuss the reasoning for Barlow at six. Um, hey, look, I admit I have biases towards power forwards, so I appreciate why you guys, you know, you get the fact that you guys actually have Barlow this high. Well, the the thing with Kobe Barlow is one of those situations where we didn't really have to. There was no internal conflict on our staff in terms of where to put him we, we all felt really comfortable with him and that's just because he has that old moniker he's a hockey player Colby Barlow has that old school throwback mentality that you look for in a new age power game um, primary shooter not an overly creative player not an excellent playmaker by any stretch of the imagination needs to improve his skating to another functional level but uh, in terms of what he already is I mean you're talking about one of the best goal scorers in the draft a player who's a true power forward. You know, I always make right. the term, I, I use the term a lot, hybrid players, right? Hybrid variations where they play a, a power game occasionally or they have power elements, but it's not the sticking point. Colby Barlow, it is. Colby Barlow plays the same way every time. Incredibly consistent player. If he was on a better team, guaranteed, and didn't get hurt, guaranteed 50 goals, guaranteed it, maybe 60. Uh, and he's one of those players where you sleep easy. You know, the t- t- one thing that we should probably mention to our listeners is like when, when you're really doing this, we have we're very fortunate. We're lucky enough to talk to actual executives, NHL scouts, people who do this for a living. And one thing they always tell us, you want to be able to sleep easy. Uh, right. It becomes when, it, when it's real life, you have to really put things on the line. You well, don't want to have to put you have to go up to that podium. Much risk. You have to go exactly. to that podium and take that player. And then if it doesn't work out, that could be your job and everybody else's job along with you. And exactly that, and, and, I, and that's, that's in my Barlow that's is. in my mind every time. Like I punch that button and the list compiles, I look at that. I'm like, okay, that means that I would walk to the podium at that pick and take that player if that player was available, right? And you got to be comfortable with that. So it's a tough situation for all of us because also we're not a part of a team, um, and we don't have any control over player development or the environment the player goes into. So there's, it's a little bit of a double edged sword from that respect. But you have to keep that front of mind. Uh, when you're when you're doing that and it's one of the reasons why I had Leonard at six is he was a guy that I would sleep easy with because of like consistent energy consistent like tenacity he plays a playoff style of game that if we're going in the playoffs that's a guy I'd want on my roster and there's players that get you the playoffs and then there's players that help you win in the playoffs and I think Leonard is one of those players which I agree with Barlow too he's a guy that's going to help you win in the playoffs because you know I think 
we watch the 82 games of the regular season of a team or all the teams, and we sort of forget what the pro- the playoffs are like. like we kind of get lulled into this regular season. And then the first round of the playoffs hits, and you go, oh, of course, this is how playoff hockey is played. This is how playoff how you win in the playoffs. So you need those styles of players. And I think for me, that's why it's – I look at all the other the skill sets that Leonard has, and to me, the defining factor was can he – produce in the playoffs is he a playoff player and it's one of the reasons why i had him at at six uh for you guys at number seven i'm really intrigued to get your guys your thoughts on this we've talked about this player in the past and daniel boot you who you have at seven uh big monster of a kid at six five and well over 200 pounds uh what are the reasoning behind having him at seven uh well he's he's basically the polar opposite of Colby Barlow in the sense that what you see is what you get with Barlow already physically developed very mature uh there's not much room in terms of how he functions or operates for in terms of his growth rate uh in terms of Daniel Butte you're talking about a player who's in his infancy as a player as, as a prospect so so in those situations where it goes back to what with Dmitry Simashev it's not what they are now it's not what they are next year it's what they are could be in 5 years uh, for our staff a uh, huge fan favorite, Jerome Berube, one of his favorite players in the entire draft, same with Dmitry Simashev. Uh, all of us uh, really like the top-end Russians in this class. Uh, it's one of those situations, too, where I, I know there's more uncertainty regarding Russian prospects in general because of the situation over there. But we'll say this. Last it doesn't year, change the player. Right. It, it didn't it, it doesn't change the player, but it also didn't change where where executives or, or scouts really had had them all that much. In terms of like you looked at Danila Yurov and and uh, Ivan Rishnachenko and you keep going down the list, a lot of them didn't actually drop that much. No. And that's because as long as they're in good foundational systems in Russia, some of these kids are still getting signed. Yeah. Right? So it, uh, it, you know, we, we understand that, you know, the, from the risk is overblown. From my perspective, the, the risk the risk is is slightly overstated for us, but yeah. it also speaks to how much we like these Russians when we do factor in the risk. Yeah, and that's the thing. Daniel Butte could be one of the most interesting and unique functional uh, power playmaking forwards in the National Hockey League one day. He's not he doesn't play streamlined as Valerian Nichushkin. We also like that. One of the most unique things about Daniel Butte is usually when you get a six five two hundred pound athlete like him who can skate uh, relatively well for his size. They tend to be more focused on dominating physically and, and attacking in straight lines. That's not Daniel Butte. He's a very inventive, creative player. He's deceptive. He's a very intelligent player that does some things that you look for when it comes to operating with his initial phase of attack. So yeah. there, there's so much untapped potential, and we just think the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, it's where at number seven, that's where I have Oliver Moore. And we talk about playoff players, and he was a guy that I thought, you know, even though he played on the program, he played on he didn't play on that top line. So he, you know, in many cases had to carry a line and drive a line. And he did so again at the U18s. And to me that he separate and take away the skill set. I'm like, I look at him like from his mentality of I will take responsibility for these, my two line mates. I will drive the play. I will be the leader of this line. Um, That matters to me when you see that, because that's something that it's a habit that he's going to bring forward into his college years and then into as a pro. Like, these are things I'm willing to accept. These are the responsibilities I'm willing to accept. And for me, it's there's the, there's a skill-based, but then there's the mental and emotional aspect of it. And we've seen so many players who have all the skill, but just mentally, emotionally can't handle what happens at the NHL level. They just, they don't have that ability to, because you don't rise to the 
to the challenge, you fall to the level of your habits. And I thought Oliver Moore had, you know, really good habits from that perspective, which is why I have met at number seven. And it's a positional strength of obviously being a centerman. Um, so at number eight for you guys, this is where you have Will Smith. Uh, thoughts on him as a player at number eight? Well, we know for our listeners, this might seem late, uh, especially when you look at the, the consensus really. at the top. Um, it's one of those situations where Will Smith is a brilliant and dynamic playmaking center. As all the talent in the world, the talent screams top five. The right. talent screams top five. Yeah. The problem is when you get past the talent, you look at his ancillary and secondary skill set, you look at his development curve, you look at the program, you look at his, his situation, there is a lot left uh, that kept us asking more questions without having the answers that we typically want when you look at the top end of the draft. This is not a player who competes that hard. He defensively, he's a liability at this time. Uh, I personally don't think he enjoys contact. And that's fine during the regular season, but it's not okay during the playoffs. You're going to have to be okay. The, the problem with Will Smith is there is a potential for him to be drowned out in critical moments, in critical games. That said, you can only pass up that type of talent right. at a certain level. Yeah. And that's why we still have him at eight. Right? You could make a fun, you could make an argument that you could put him later than that, but you you have to be it's one of those situations where you got to be very careful because if he does hit on all cylinders, if he does develop correctly, well, this is just going to be a bad ranking long term, right? So we kind of met him halfway, uh, and that's and that's why we put him in eight. Yeah, and I, and I always take a look at what the environment he's going to, like what university he's going to, or what team you're going to in the following, you know, two years of your development. I think it'd be best case scenario for him to stay there for for two years, get, you know, get the opportunity to play at the world juniors and then see if those two years help mitigate the concerns that you have, but your concerns are the same as my concerns. So I was willing to bet on the fact that the environment he he's going into is going to help mitigate that. doesn't have to it may not alleviate all of it, but it was going to mitigate some of those concerns. And that's part of like the projection of understanding where guys go, have to go. And that's, um, that's the challenge. And that's what the interesting thing is when you and I have discussions or we have guests on, we, you know, constantly go back to risk, you know, and floor and ceiling, and then what needs to improve upon and how much time do you think that's going to take? And of course, this is all, you know, an assessment based on experience and understanding the situation the player is going to. So um, yeah, I completely understand. Um, it's a fair, it's fair to have, Will Smith, because you make that argument uh, perfectly clear. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned, and we'll continue uh, on the rankings from 9 to 12 right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. 
Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, bantam, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio on our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 3, brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, they design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. So we're continuing to count down our top 32 list from number 9 to number 12. So... You guys at HockeyProspect.com have Gabriel Perot at number nine. I have Zach Benson at number nine. So um, explain the reasoning for Perot at number nine for you guys. One of the most dynamic players in the draft, uh, when you look at in terms of functional hand speed, ability to manipulate, yeah. playmaking upside, like he's right 100%. up there. Um, this might be surprising to some people. I think he's more talented than Matthew Mitchkoff, for instance. I really think he's, he's that gifted. Like in terms of puck handling ability and playmaking, it's unbelievable. Um, the, the big, the big, well, the, the big question mark with Gabe Pro or, uh, Pro when you look at him long-term is how is he going to operate at the NHL level so that he's not a liability off the puck? He works very similar. I mentioned this before. I'll mention it again here is he, he's has a ton of Andre Kuzmenko in this game. I mean, he's yeah. going to flash brilliance offensively. He's going to be able to play with star star centers. He's going to be able to score timely goals. He's going to be able to do the things offensively you need uh, to get a line functionally operating when they feel flat. He's one of those initiators to a line. Uh, the problem is when the pace of play picks up, when he's in a north-south transition style of game, he's going to have to deal with pacing concerns. And that's yeah. all because his skating is functionally not the level you need it to be. Part of that, um, that we just discussed off air, uh, that you talked about the combine is, he's undersized right now. He's definitely going to have to put on some muscle, get on some mass, get his power up there. He needs to be able to skate a little better on open ice. And then we think he's going to be able to develop into one of the best players in this class. You know, and that's what I, when I saw him at the combine, I'm like, okay. You know, and it just reinforced all the things that he needs to work on based on just on his his body structure. Now you don't have to be the heaviest set guy in terms of muscle mass. You just need the power to weight ratio. So it'll be curious to see what happens in three years and it could make your ranking look great. And mine look dumb. And that was my risk. It was like, okay, recognize talent. Look at like the other things he has to catch up to be a functional, high functioning player at the NHL level. And I had to like find an, medium between there um and you guys like i like the fact you guys bet on talent it's great like and i totally understand that 
and it's just like it was my it was the you know when I and I punched it through my system that's those things came up and it put them where where I uh, slot them and we'll talk about that later in the show um at number nine this is where I have Zach Benson and there is a positional strength obviously at center but he's also small but highly skilled um highly dynamic particularly when you watch him play on a, a really stacked team but then you had two first round picks from last year and he was driving play and he was forcing the opposition's best defenders to defend him over his teammates. And that says something to me about what opposition coaches recognized in him. Like he's so dangerous. We have no choice. We have to have our first pairing out against him at all times. Um, And I'm really curious to see how he continues his development from that standpoint. But I thought just dynamic hockey sense. This guy understands how to read the game and make plays. So that's why, you know, I had him there at nine. At number 10, this is where you guys have Dalbor Dvorsky, and I have David Reinbacher. Thoughts on Dvorsky? We've talked a lot about him in the show. Um, obviously, both you and I think very highly of him in terms of as a player, uh, reasoning for having him at 10. Well, we think of him as a two-way competitive center. Uh, who's very likely to play. The floor is very, very high. Extremely competitive, tenacious. He's multidimensional in terms of being able to be physical, but also has extremely impressive uh, puck skills. So goes a long way in terms of being able to at least have an adaptable and functional game when he's not scoring. Um, that said, one of the best shooters in this class in terms of sheer shot quality, uh, we think he's a little over-reliant on it. And similar to Kobe Barlow, uh, we wish he was a little more inventive, a little more creative, with his playmaking ability. Um, also, he's, unlike Barlow, and this is a bit of the contrast between the two, is when you look at Dalbert Dvorsky's game, he was more inconsistent than Barlow. Now, part of that can be attributed to the fact that uh, Dvorsky was playing all Svenskin all yeah, year, which is a, is a very good pro league, uh, and he was very inconsistent there. You get four-game stretches where you go, wow, this player looks phenomenal. You get another four-game stretches, he doesn't do a whole lot, and you're not, not really uh, happy with his play. So it's one of those situations where uh, the consistency rates – you you could argue if, if he was in junior with Barlow would probably be higher and that might get him more in that range. But uh, in terms of being able to impact the game, play a 200 foot game and be a difference maker, we fit, we think the divorce, he fits that description. That's why we have him at 10. Yeah. It's interesting. We're actually only two spots apart in terms of where I have divorce game. We have the, I have a similar um, thoughts about, you know, his, his game. It's, it's actually, he's one of the easier play, players in this draft class to scout. Because his like his strengths are obvious, and his and the, his his limitations at this point in time are obvious. So it just like especially when when you got to see him in international competition against his peers, that you go oh okay, uh, you know I found it actually it was like one of the the players that I really enjoyed because it was actually not that difficult. I didn't like you're not straining hard to figure things out at number ten. Um, you know at number ten, this is where I have David Reinbacher, and it's part of it is um position of defense and how like scarcity is important um, and there's, it's so hard to acquire a number three D man. And that's where I really have Reinbacher as a number three D man. Though so hard to require acquire and trade. They're difficult to get in free agency and they cost an arm and a leg. And when you can get a player who has that potential upside to be sort of a linchpin defenseman for your defense core in the future, it's one of the reasons why, like I, I thought it was wise to have him at, at that spot uh, at number 11, uh, this is where you guys have Ryan Leonard. Um, I talked a little about Ryan Leonard uh, because I had him a little bit higher than you guys, but thoughts on him as an overall player. We think of Leonard as a versatile Swiss Army knife player that's going to affect the game at even strength more than on the power play. Um, you know, one of the things with Ryan Leonard is that he's 
he's extremely well-rounded. Extremely well-rounded, plays a 200-foot game. One of the biggest differences between Ryan Leonard and Will Smith, for instance, is the off-puck play of, of Ryan Leonard. He's much yeah. more engaged off the puck. He he understands and anticipates defense better than Will Smith does. Uh, he's willing to actually physically initiate uh, the skating base is better than Smith. So it's one of those situations where uh, don't be completely shocked if there are staffs out there that have Ryan Leonard ahead of Will Smith, just because of what I talked about yeah. those ancillary skill sets alone. Now, Ryan 100%. Leonard's an extremely safe player. The reason that he's not in our top 10, uh, this goes Mark Edwards and, and myself, Sean Brewery, we all had a, a lot of discussions regarding this player. Um, we like his competitive nature, but we don't think it's at the same degree as some of these other players. We think Barlow and Fentili, Zach Benson that you just discussed, Dvorsky are all consistently more engaged. Now, uh, there is a caveat to that, though. You, you, you honestly kind of never know what you're going to get sometimes with the program. Right. He's on that team. Will he functionally become more what we're hoping he can when you look at him in the college route? We think that we think that will be the case. Uh, if there was a limitation, we, we think that he's just like he's a he's a very good offensive player. We think you can put up 50, 55 points, but he's not like a specialist. There's nothing elite about his skill set. Uh, and that might hold him back from being able to hit those projections that you would normally typically see in a top 10. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and now uh, finally at uh, the last hit we're going to do is number 12 in Zach. This is where you guys have Zach Benson and I have Delvor Dvorsky. So like it was just basically, you know, a, a two spots different. So uh, thoughts on Zach Benson from your standpoint. Oh, so Zach Benson, uh, one of my favorites in the draft uh, team. We, we love him. Joan Baruby was the first to really uh, uh, pound the table for him as a 16 year old and said, this kid's better than Savoy and he's a year younger. And I was like, wow, really? We got to we got to watch a whole lot of him, right? So, uh, fast forward to the season, we felt he he was the driver relative to Connor Geeky and Matthew Savoy, right? Way, which I mentioned, yeah. He was younger. Uh, the the big, yeah. The the big thing with Zach Benson is that he's an incredibly competitive player, but he's also incredibly small. And when you mix those two things, sometimes you get the Frank Nazar effect. And that means you're off the ice. And that's not where you want a player to be. Yeah. Uh, Mark Edwards and myself had a lot of discussions about looking at past players that were smaller and looking at their situations after critical injuries. We uh, discussed in the book, Tyler Johnson has been a perfect example of a player who was looking like an all-star on Tampa Bay. The second he got two major injuries back-to-back, he's never the same. Victor Arvidsson took years to get back on track, we felt, when he went down in Nashville, and then he rejuvenated his career in L.A. Uh, Robbie Fabry is another example. I mentioned Frank Nazar. There are a lot of examples of remarkably competitive players. Gavin Brindley falls in this, too, where you got to be very careful because you don't want to draft a player – Inside the top 10, if you think they're injury prone, it's very difficult to project that. But we think it's the, the potential is there for Zach Benson. We know he was injured in the playoffs already this season, and that's likely to occur at the NHL level at some points too. That said, in terms of his skill set, talking about one of the, the better playmakers in this class, one of the smartest players in this class. When you're talking about just a functional 200-foot game, very few players anticipate process information as rapidly on the ice as Zach Benson. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We continue on from 13 to 16 right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. 
Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio, our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Show Part 3, brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting through an integrated series of best business practices. They design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. As we continue to count down our top 32 list, we are now at number 13. At number 13, you guys at HockeyProspect.com have David Reinbacker. We've talked about him a lot on the show, you and I. So uh, reasoning for have, having him at number three, I had him a little bit higher than you, but it's really insignificant when it's a couple spots or even three or four spots for that matter. Yeah, the, the reason we have him at 13 is because if you take the idea away that that um, some of these defensemen uh, – you have to like prop up and you, you have to really get ahead of them in a draft in order to acquire them. Uh, in Reinbacker's case, we don't, we don't think that he's where Moritz Sider was at the same age. Uh, we don't think he's where Simon Evanson was at the same age. We, we couldn't get there in terms of thinking that he's a top pairing defenseman. That's why he's outside of our top 10. Right. Um, if there's one aspect to him that, that really makes him intriguing, though, it's the fact that really he showcased this right through the year, but I, I felt it was really strong in the world, is that he just – there's only like two, six, three-plus defensemen in this draft that are very physical that really project to play, and he's one of them. Yeah. Right? We don't think he's as talented or as dynamic as Simashev and doesn't have the upside of Simashev, which is why Simashev's higher. Um, but David Reinbacker to us looks like a very useful 200-foot uh, – uh, probably insulating second pairing defenseman. The shot, the shot is there. It's the rest that's lagging behind. Uh, not a great or or 
overly dynamic playmaker, not an overly technical passer. Um, he, he fits into Oliver Bonk's mold in the sense that there's room for him to grow despite being a bigger kid. Uh, and he's even bigger than Bonk. So uh, when you look at his coordination rates and his ability to actually do things in the future, there's definitely an uptick that we haven't seen yet. And so we try to take that into account as well. Uh, we do like the player, but we think the it's unrealistic to put him in that 5 to 10 range, uh, even though, again, admittedly, if you want this type of player, you, you do have to move him higher than yeah. you typically want to. Right. And that's a really scarcity. And if he's a number three and – like in his prime years, a 24 to 30, 25 to 30, and he's a linchpin demon as a number three. That's where the value comes. But this is a different bit, a little bit of a different draft class because of the limiting number of defensemen that are currently on there, which is why, um, you know, in terms of value, just a positional, it's why I have Tom Willander there. The other factor is his skating ability. Look, you know, we talked about that on our show. He's an excellent skater and his ability to create time and space to take away time and space. I think that's going to be very beneficial to him at the NHL. One of the other reasons is because he plays in Sweden, you know, he may not have to come over for three years so he can play in Sweden and not be thrown into the mix of the American Hockey League as a 20-year-old. And I don't like putting defensemen, 20-year-old defensemen in the American Hockey League. You know, we both see that, you know, it can be a bit of a meat grinder for defensemen. It's the hardest position to to adapt to there. So I like having – it's another factor is because he's not a CHL defenseman, he's going to have a longer runway in terms of his development, which is one of the reasons why I had him there at number 13. At number 14, this is where you guys have Matthew Wood. Uh, thoughts on him? Uh, incredibly raw talent, um, but also incredibly gifted. And again, yeah. this goes right back to Daniil Butte mold, right. where uh, he, what you see is not what you get, right? You're, you're looking for that five-year development window. Now, one of the reasons we have Daniil Butte aggressively ahead of him is Butte is by far the be- the bigger better competitor and in terms of uh functional skating ability in terms of mechanical efficiency uh, it's butte all day butte's wildly ahead of wood wood is one of the worst skaters in this class if if you really this is a generalized statement like if you ask 10 nhl scouts that this they'll all come back to you with 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 the two same players and that's who are the functionally two worst forwards in the drafted skating it's matthew wood and it's um it's um, uh, Cone Zemer. And if you look at defense, defensively, it's uh, Lucas Dragosevich relative to what he needs to be. Those are the three skaters in this class where it raises a lot of concerns. Uh, the reason that we think that Wood can overcome, um, overcome his concerns is, one, he already showed a better functional power at the end of the season, better peak power output, better open ice skating. Once you get past the first three steps and his acceleration, he starts really going north-south. He can actually move at a decent rate. I was surprised when I got to watch him live at the U18s uh, how well he moved at times relative to my expectation based off what I was seeing from him on video in college. So uh, it's one of those situations where we think he's more of a gifted playmaker than a shooter. Um and that's because the even though some of his shot quality is incredible, some of his better shots are elite, it comes down uh, to them being too sporadic. And mechanics right. can break down, not so dissimilar to Neil Butte, right? Certain players are mechanically more efficient, more consistent than other players. And so when you look at Leo Carlson and Daniel Butte relative to Colby Barlow, and Matthew Wood, there's a wide range there where, where with uh, where with Barlow specifically, you're getting the most consistent rates. And then with Wood, you're, you're getting more inconsistent rates. Right. At number 14 is where I have Quentin Musty. Uh, we don't actually have uh, our separation between those players isn't very, very much as well. And it's 
the fact of the matter is it's that power forward style. And then, you know, after watching the playoffs, you recognize the value of a player like that. In particular, we talked about the value of more of a, a playmaking power forward comparative to a primary shooter and which ones tend to turn into NHL players that play more than 200 games is, you know, part of the reason is I won't get into it because we're running out of time, but that's part of like the, the waiting process from that standpoint um, as well. So, um, so let's continue on down to number 15. And this is where you guys have Samuel Hanzek thoughts on him overall. Again, you're going to sound like a broken record now, but it's not based off what he is now. Right. It's based off of that five-year projection. It's He's a very raw player. A lot of these uh, players are Daniil Butte's raw. Matthew Wood's very raw. So is Samuel Hanzik. Um, Samuel Hanzik has more room to fill out than Barlow, and mechanically he's ahead of Butte in terms of consistency when it comes to his playmaking and shooting rates. Um, that said, in terms of his Peak performances, he looks like a top six player, and that's why he's in the 15 range, because we value the peak performances more than, than the inconsistency. Uh, we felt he was not the same player after January, after his injury. So we're trying to factor that in. We yeah. really weighted his, again, we weighted his season before the injury much more heavily. We really liked his performance in the U20s. We thought he did very well there. Uh, if there was one big element of his game that I feel he really needs to develop in order to project as a top six player and have our ranking uh, be solidified. It's how often he's willing to use his, his toolkit so he can get down into the, 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 net area and around the board area and drive possession down there so he can make a low to high danger passing plays for his teammates and become, become more of a multi-dimensional threat all over the ice. See, that's where I have Daniel boot at number 15. And that was just me simply waiting that, intriguing upside with the floor and just making an average between those two and just trying to make a calculated risk between that and what we had discussed about him. Uh, I agree with, cause this, this is a player that we have discussed uh, at length on this program in the past. So we don't have to go into you know massive detail about that. I thought you gave really great commentary at number 16, uh, the last player uh, before we head off at the end of hour one, this is where hockeyprospect.com has Oliver Bonk from the London Knights. And I have a defenseman in um, Ale- um, Axel Sandin Pelica at number 16. So we each have a defenseman there, although different defensemen altogether. Thoughts on Bonk? So Bonk, again, raw. Uncoordinated this time relative to where we think he can get to. Uh, hasn't really hit the gym yet. We think that he can be really different looking once he, he starts developing into a young adult. Um, very intelligent player. Reminds me a lot of, I know it's a strange comparison because you're forward, but reminds me a lot of Isaac Lundestrom in the sense he's very poised, very calculated, very efficient, but then there's a, a ceiling concern as well. Right. Um, that said, when you when you look at Isaac Lundestrom and you look at the ceiling concern, it was a third line concern, which is still the case. With Oliver Bonk, though, you're looking at a defensive uh, projection, and that means you increase his ranking uh, exponentially. Because if you think that his floor is high and that he projects to be a top six defenseman, then it really enhances his value, especially in a class where there's a tremendous amount of risk. And when you when we factor in risk, as you mentioned before, it's about development. Well, the, the hunters live and die hockey. They bleed hockey. And uh, the, the hunters have uh, time and time again shown the ability to develop players successfully. And that's why uh, we're betting on Oliver Bonk to be one of them. 
Yeah, it's interesting. That's where I have, you know, we'll talk about Axel sending Pelica. We talked about it in the past, so I won't get into it too heavily. I have him at, at 16. It's primarily just a, a third pairing, fourth pairing, you know, number four defenseman projection from that standpoint. But we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned for hour two right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is hour two of our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Show, part three, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at juniorprospecthockeyleague.com. This is, uh, we're going down our top 32 list now into hour two. It's 17 to 20. So at number 17 at hockeyprospect.com, you guys have Nate Danielson and I have Kobe Barlow. Um, thoughts on the reasoning behind having Nate Danielson there? Because he's, for me, and it's the discussions we've had with NHL people, um, very polar, polarizing player in terms of what's his ceiling, what's his floor, where can he play, where is he going to play, and that level of uncertainty makes it really challenging because he can, you could can have him high and make you look good, or things just don't work out the way you project. And yes, he plays in the NHL, but he's not there. So thoughts on him overall because he, we talk about. Um, Dvorsky is being an easy guy to scout. 
Nate Danielson is the complete polar opposite. Yeah, I, I forgot to give uh, the quote I like to give every black book, and that's one for one player. I always give the the Tom Hanks famous quote: "Life is a box of chocolates; you never know where you're going to get." 100%. And uh, that's this player. If you pulled ten NHL scouts and our staff, uh, what this player is, how you project him, you're going to get ten different answers. That's just that's just the way this player is, and that really speaks to the sporadic nature of this player, but also speaks to the potential. So. He was thrust into a first-line center role on Brendan Weekings. Brendan Weekings were not a good team. They were a very, oh, yeah. very poor team, and they relied on him too heavily. Um, that put him in a bad spot. The question is, when you have a player who is not in the best situation, one thing we like to do at Hockey Prospects is we take that player and we say, what would he look like if he was on the program? What would he look like if he was on the Winnipeg Ice? What was it? You know, a top team. Seattle, whatever top team you can think of, put him on there. How would he do? How would he fare? And we think he would fare a lot better. Um, the huge question marks surrounding this player, it used to, when we first evaluated him, it was more of his competitive nature to him. He was not always dialed in. He was a bit dysfunctional as a center, not, not showing a ton of intelligence to either end. By the end of the season, we felt that he was pretty competitive and showing enough intelligence. But for, for our staff and for myself, still remarkably sporadic when it comes and, to consistency uh, yeah. rates of his playmaking. And uncertainty. Shooting. Yeah. High level of and like, there was, yeah, a lot of upside, but some uncertainty. And I can understand why that is at number 18. You guys have Caleb Ritchie. I have Samuel Hansa because we've already talked about um, Barlow and Hansa quite a bit. We haven't talked about Caleb Ritchie uh, thoughts and Caleb Ritchie at 18th overall. We will talk about him a little bit farther down. I have a few spots lower than you guys. Yeah, so so Richie Richie's an interesting situation. We didn't know this until recently. But Richie Richie had a bad injury, really yeah. bad injury. Uh, affected him the entire season. He re-injured at the U18s. Uh, uh, amazingly enough, I thought it was some of his best performances with the U18s. I thought he was fine there and played um, got it through it. Yeah, played right through it. That's a good sign. There, that's a good sign because one of the concerns of this player this entire season for us is that. You always, you always left wanting more because you felt there is more and just wouldn't show it enough. And, and yeah. what we mean by that is he's an intelligent player. He has a good frame. He's a good foundational skater. And it's one of those situations where he's one of the natural dual threats in this class. So at the OHL level, you would expect him to dominate, and he wasn't very dominant. And so that that's where – How much of that was injury, though? Well, that's right. it. And that's yeah. where this projection, this, that's where this gets really tricky. Really, really tricky. We're banking on the kid having a situation that's not so dissimilar to, honestly, Matthew Mitchkov's, meaning we think that this season wasn't what we expect to see going forward. We and think there's more there. And that's the dangerous part is our, our expectations, right? That's the one I always look back at first. I'm like, okay, like try not to have expectations. I mean, it's tough to do. We're humans. We have expectations, but it, it makes it challenging for us trying to figure out the player. Well, when, when you break down his skill set and how he operates on the ice, he has everything needed to actually translate. That's one of the reasons that we did put him in the top 20s. When you look at transition, transitional ability uh, in terms of zone entry rates, when you look at his ability to pass a puck, when you look at his, his 200-foot game and what he could do to impact the game, like you, you look at the floor – the floor is very high. It's the ceiling where the question marks come into play. Yeah. But we at Hockey Prospect, one thing we like to do is put 
high floor players within this range usually, and especially in this class because it's very risk. There's a, there's a very risky group between 15 and 35. And that's why we moved Richie up. Well, let's go to number 19. And this is where you have Quentin Musty. I had him a few spots higher than you guys. Um, and this is at number 19. I have Brandon Yeager. And we're pretty close in terms of that ranking as well. So let's talk about Quinton Musty and Brandon Yeager a little bit um, next. So thoughts on Musty. You know, we talked about the playmake, you know, the playmaking power for it, a guy who can make plays and how valuable that is in the NHL and how well it translates. So we look at the successful guy, big body players, the ones that are more primary playmakers tend to make to the NHL and be more successful at a higher clip. Yeah, the power playmaker is my favorite player type. And typically I have these players ranked extremely aggressively, yeah. but uh, that didn't happen for, for our staff uh, this season with Musty. The main reason why is because he doesn't know how to consistently operate in a manner that will get him the best results he can. What we mean by that is that there are times where he's floating. And there are times where he's not operating and using his frame successfully so he can get – so he can win pop Still battles, trying to figure so it out. So he can be effective along the boards. Yeah, he's very much in his infancy as a player. He's very raw. And then that goes back to what we said. Nate Tannelson's raw. Matthew Wood's very raw. Um, despite being raw – that said, despite being raw – when you look at his skill set, it's pretty unique. One of the better uh, playmakers in this class. And when you factor into his frame and what he can do from stationary positions when it comes to his shooting ability, there's a lot there. The, the big thing with Musty when it comes to the translation rate and what I want to see from him from a developmental perspective is the ability to shoot off the rush and be more dangerous in transition. Right? That's, that's, he's very good off the cycle. And when he's playing at a higher pace, when he's competing, he can be an extremely dangerous player around the net area, uh, especially when he's doing low to high danger passes from around the goal line. He's he's much more functional there than, say, Sam Mahonzik, for instance. Right. But yeah. it's just it's just not all there right now. And and when it comes to like how he operates in transition, there's a lack of understanding how to set his shot behind screens at this time. So when it comes to the development, that's where you're really looking for that. If he can get there, and if he can improve his skating and just get that consistency rate up with his competitiveness, then he's going to be a very impressive player. Right. And he's got two years, you know, in, in junior before he has to make the American hockey league. So there's time for that. And a team can specifically build those out and recognize, okay. And help him with that moving forward. So, uh, you know, those things can be um, not alleviated, but certainly can be, there can be growth areas in that before he goes into the American hockey league at number 19. That's where I have Jaeger, but we'll talk about Jaeger in a, in a, um, a little bit bigger standpoint in a couple in the next segment at number 20. This is where you guys have Otto Stenberg. I have Gabe Perot, um, you know, and we talked about Perot in terms of, I just had a little, there was a balance between risk and upside. And I sort of like, I went to the happy medium in between. And so that I could mitigate that risk which is why I had Perot, you know, a little bit lower than you guys talk about Stenberg. Cause I don't have him very far off from you guys. And it's something we talked about him a lot on our show is he's a guy who I think as well has a high floor. Like it's a guy you can pencil in into the NHL. Now he doesn't necessarily have the ceiling as other players, but he's a guy that's going to have versatility and be very useful in from that standpoint. 
for an inch. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It, it, there's a lot of versatility with them. There's some Swiss Army knife in them. Uh, one thing about this player is it took our staff a bit of time to warm up to him, and that's because he started the year very cold. He was, you know, coming into the season, he was one of the prospects on our radar, and we felt he was very flat to begin the season. That said, he was injured. It took him time to adapt to his teammates in yeah. Colunda. Once he made those adjustments, though, you start really seeing his game take off. And I really thought he was one of the better players uh, at the U18s. I thought yeah, he outperformed yeah. some big names there. Uh, very impressive performance. One thing I really like about Otto Stenberg is that although we project him to be a middle six contributor, we love the instincts that he has. He has that takeover mentality that you want to see at the stage. In Playoff the player. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going to step up. He's going to step up when the, when the games matter, we think. So um, we're fans of Otto Stenberg. Again, the ceiling, yeah, we don't think he's a, a first liner by any means, but we think he's a very useful uh, middle six forward that's compatible with a lot of different player types and can do a lot of things in, in, the, in a way that is pretty unique when you take into the fact that he can manipulate the, the first layer. But he's also very, very elusive in tight spaces with his edge work, and he has to be because he's not very big. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned for picks 21 to 24 right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. 
This is segment six of our two of our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Show Part 3 and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at Junior Prospect Hockey League. Com. So we're counting down the list. We are now at number 21. This is where Brad, you got you guys at hockeyprospect.com have Bradley Nadeau uh, from the BC Hockey League. Uh, I do a bias towards that. I grew up in a BC Hockey League town. Um, at number 21, this is where I have the first goalie uh, off my list and Michael Horable. So let's talk about Bradley Nadeau. And I like the fact, and there's extreme value of having a kid who plays junior a and then most likely will play three years in college hockey allowing them that additional road of development that longer you know track um so they don't have to be thrown into the american hockey league as a 20 year old they could you know maybe able to come out as a 22 year old and it changes like their probability of turning into an nhl player thoughts on bradley and the doe and the great season he had with penticton because that team's a juggernaut yeah well we're on board with the development the development is what we need to see, which is college. He needs time to fill out. He's not a very big player. You know, 5'10", 170 pounds, needs time to fill out. Much much like Gabe Perot, right? Yeah, very similar 100%. To the structure. Um, this is one of Mark Edwards' favorite players in the draft. Uh, one thing he said to me that really, like, resonates with me, and it's really true about this player, is that, okay, yes, it's the BCHL. Yes, the Penticton Vs are basically the program. But that's a really good league. It gets underestimated. It's it's not a bad league. It's just they were so dominant. But in yeah. the domination, Bradley Nadeau and Adar Suneev, neither one of them ever led up, and that's why they were so dominant. Yeah. When it was three, four, nothing. What you see with the program, for instance, you see them start to let up a lot. You yeah. start seeing an experiment again. You right. You start seeing them dialed down. Bradley and Donator Sune have played the right. No, they stomped on Nex. Yeah, yeah, they, that's exactly it. They stomped they on for the jugular the second they saw the second they smelled blood. They went for it. Um, we look for that in a player. Um, both Bradley Nadeau and Nader Sunev have uh, had that quality. Uh, Nadeau is one of the most dangerous shooters in this class, especially when it comes to from stationary positions where he can set up his wheelhouse. He is an unbelievably dangerous, dangerous player. Raw though, um, in terms of projection. It's he's a player who's a bit all over the map. He could end up really surprising, or maybe he's a good third liner who scores twenty right. goals for you. And that that was right. my debate: is he a second line center? Is he a third line center? What like you know? And I always I in like I in a error and on a sign of caution, uh, but he could certainly turn into a really good second line player, and that a team could have really good value there. Yeah, the the, the big thing with his game, one of the reasons that we. Uh, pulled him back a little bit despite being so talented is that he didn't operate very well in small windows at times, despite being in the BCHL. That was a cause for concern. Jerome Berube and myself, we actually tracked his handling uh, ability over the season and uh, it would left a lot to be desired. And that's one of the areas of development that he really needs to showcase in the coming years in order to translate. Well, let's get uh, rolling. We got no- at number 22. This is where you guys have hockeyprospect.com brendan yeager uh this is where i have kalen richie we're really not far apart on both those players uh thoughts on brendan yeager and his game yeager very uh very polarizing player in some ways uh, in terms of talent reminds me a lot of yakov rana at the same yep. age yeah You're that's talking comparable. About enigmatic sniper straight line remarkable skater right tremendous shot quality can really threaten from range uh not a very creative player Works in straight lines too often, 
um, very inconsistent. There are stretches where when the playmaking really holds, he looks like almost a natural dual threat. Then you get really excited about him. But then there's long stretches where uh, he's not he's not recognizing his time and space, not recognizing his weak side options. He doesn't recognize the timing for his first passing options to his teammates and high danger areas. And so it's like, okay, what is this player? Uh, we think he's at least a third line twenty goal sniper who can just just dominate off the rush and straight lines. That's essentially the foundation of his game. Uh, it's going to be up to him, obviously, how he develops. So one thing I will say about his development, he was incredibly poor off the puck to start the year, like to a degree where there's no chance he'd be in our top 32, but he became a much more consistent yeah. player off the puck as the season progressed and started actually initiating contact, not just not just um, in the sense that, not not just in the way that, where you look at like a Will Smith where Will Smith will he'll finish a hit off a forecheck, but he won't hit through a player. Yeah. Okay? He won't try to he won't try to use that to his advantage, the fallback the fallout of that, fallout of the hit to his advantage so that he can actually generate another play. Where with Jaeger, he started developing those qualities and that really matters for him because he needs a secondary skill set when he's not scoring. That's right. At number twenty three, this is where you guys have Tom Willander. At 23, this way I have Otto Stenberg. Not a huge difference between we where we had sep, uh, separation from that standpoint. Talk about Will Will Ender's upside. I mean, to me, the skating makes a huge difference. He's a very smart player. So for me, it was just really because he's in Sweden, he's going to get that extra year of development, maybe two, depending who takes him. So for me, that's what really helped um, give me a level of comfort where that's why I had him a little bit higher than you guys, but I understand like why you have him at 23. Yeah. We look at him as a two way defenseman, one of the better skaters in this class that goes a really long way in trying to project him to actually play. Um, he's in a great system. Rogla in the, over in Sweden, one of yep. the better systems uh, out of Sweden. Um, they understand how to develop players and then get them ready for North America. Uh, so that's a huge thing for Willander. Uh, Willander is still mechanically quite raw in some respects when it comes to his playmaking rates. Uh, if you look at his stretch playmaking, his exit playmaking at the J20 level, it was actually surprisingly average relative to his international performances. Uh, we found his peak performances were international, um, and that went more a long way to solidifying his draft stock for us than than in J20. The other factor is we don't think he's a power play option. That's why I had him outside the top 20. We think of him much more as a very useful 200-foot functional defender who um, who's very useful at even strength and relies on his skating primarily to get things done. See, I'm glad you brought that up because that's where I think his strength lies, is five-on-five five defending. Is He's the guy <clears throat> that the coach throws over the boards to defend against really fast, skilled forwards. And like, cause that's a guy who can kind of settle things down. Right. And you can like try to like when you're doing strategic line matching. So that's where I thought his real value is. I'm glad you guys brought that up. Um, you brought that up from that standpoint at number 24. This is where you guys have Michael Rabel. Well, I have him at 21. So I know you're a goalie guy. Um, I have number 24. I have Grant, um, Gavin Brindley. And we talked about <clears throat> risk in that in that standpoint, but talk about the goaltender, your top goaltender, and my top goaltender in your list. Yeah, Hrabble is, um, I think, the furthest along of the big four. The big four for me is Michael Hrabble, Adam Guyan, uh, Damian Clare, and Jacob Fowler. Right? Those are the big four for me. Uh, 
Prabhu's the one who I think is the most well-rounded while still having a uh, remarkable amount of athleticism. Uh, six, I think he came in a 6'7". He might have been even taller than his initial list in a 6'6". At the Combine, uh, incredibly big goalie, moves remarkably well. I think he's one of the best athletes in this class, but I actually think – Again, Clara Guyane, you're talking about elite super athletes. And then I think Krabble is an exceptional to elite athlete. So right under them, but still very, very impressive in his own right. Um, my player comp is a larger Jake Ottinger. Uh, needs time. Needs time to develop. Um, which is great because he's going to, going to college hockey. Going to college hockey, which is the right place. The other thing I'll, I'll, I'll mention about this player is that when you look at him from Sparta's system to now, from a 16, 17, 18-year-old, uh, very impressive development curve. He was very raw heading into the season. I was very impressed with him at Omaha. Also, it's one of those situations where, uh, you know, we, we mentioned earlier how with certain players like Nate Danielson, you want to project them if they were on the program and how they would look differently. Right. Well, imagine imagine Michael Robb was on the program instead of Omaha, right? And right. that's... That's the difference, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That's where I think some people get caught up in, in some goalies when they're playing on elite teams and, and you see their performance and they play on awful teams and you see their performance. You've got to really be able to factor in what, what's occurring, why it's occurring. The one thing I'll mention with Ravel, you get a kid that big, conditioning's a factor. I think it really played a factor in the second half and that's why he wasn't looking as good he was in the initial part of the season. Right, and that's also part of the projection standpoint. Like when he is – you know, 22 years of age, what is his body going to look like? What is conditioning going to look like? Cause, so he doesn't break when he, when you break down physically, you start to break down mentally and emotionally and things start to unravel. It's a cascading aspect of like, of his game. Um, but once he's like, I saw him at the combine kids, a monster, like he's a monster. I'm like, where are you going to find a place to put the puck? If he stays on his feet longer and doesn't drop down and he's in better condition. So his body stays upright. Boy, he's going to be tough to score. And we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio, though. Uh, we'll be right back, and we'll talk about 25 to 28 right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. 
Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, bantam, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio and our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 3. Powered by Outside Edge Player Development, on and off ice training features KPI-based conditioning programs at OutsideEdge.ca as we're counting down from 25 to 28. At number 25 at HockeyProspect.com, this is where you have Oliver Moore. Um, I have Casper Hultonen, not big difference between the two. So let's uh, let's talk about your thoughts on Oliver Moore. I had mentioned him. I had him a little bit higher than you guys um, just because – for me, I just think he's the kind of player that is going to find a way to be very productive um, in a lot of different areas for a team. And that value, um, particularly in the playoffs, is going to, for me, it matters. Um, he may not have as much upside as some other players, but I just think he's a bit of a, he can be a really valuable player in terms of his versatility. And and then for you guys, let, let's talk a little bit about Oliver Moore. Yeah, Oliver Moore, um, remarkable speed remarkable uh, ability to generate off the rush uh, transitional zone entry rates per 60. You could argue they might be some of the best in this class when you're looking at a more of a depth player. And that's how we evaluate more. Um, I know that there's some rankings out there. You see them much more aggressively ranked where you have them uh, for us. It comes down to hockey sense. Um, we don't think of him as being, as limited in terms of how he operates uh, relative to, say, the McLeod brothers. Uh, but we think he falls more into the Brad Lambert territory, uh, meaning that he plays uh, too fast for his ability to operate and process play on the ice. Um, and you can see that not just within his playmaking ability, but you see that within his shooting. One thing that he actually shares similarly with William Whitelaw is they both over rely on lower percentage shot angles. Uh, and again, that goes back to uh, playing too quickly for their own good. Uh, if he can dial that down, that's when the higher projection you see uh, starts to take shape more often. Um, the other aspect that's more, that's very interesting about this player is that although he doesn't incorporate his teammates as often as you would like, well, one, one of the reasons is that he is an instinctive line driver. So if he can yep. find a better rate of consistency of evaluating when he should incorporate his teammates to when he shouldn't and still be effective at, at driving play, right. that's when you're going to get a really, really good player. And see, and that's then, what you know, I was looking at, right? Like, it was yeah, just that's like, what you're looking at and some yeah. others. So, so yeah. it's, it's, really, it's really how you, you, you think about that. Uh, for our staff, we are all very much on the same page with this player. Uh, we all thought that he was honestly a little overvalued because the, we think the sense is too limited. But there is a lot of very interesting and, and useful uh, components to this player, and that's why we still have him in the top 32. Yeah, no, I really like him as a player, so I, I can understand your guys' reasoning, and I just thought those things were correctable because he was going to go to college, and he could spread his time out a little bit more from that standpoint. So uh, as we continue to move on at number 26, this is where you guys have um, uh, Axel Sendin Pelica, and at number six, where, this is where I have Andrew Crystal. 
um, you know, polarizing player in terms of crystal. Cause what is he at the next level? Um, lots of like skill set, but there's some risk there too. Uh, a, like he could be a player that plays in the NHL or doesn't play in the NHL. Like that's the coin flip. Um, and I'm rooting for him and crossing my fingers, but you know, I just looked at that skill set and if he goes to the right team and right environment, you know, he could make it. But I'm I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on um, Axel Sending Pelic. I have him a little higher than you because I project him as a three. I think at that spot, I'm going to guess that you guys probably project him as a four. It's it's not so much the projection of, of if he's a four or three. It it really comes down to a philosophical philosophical interpretation of of how we operate right. in terms of how we look at defense. Uh, we are very much. The way we think is very much uh, like the way Vegas is built on the back end. We like big, we like nasty, and we like range. And Pelica doesn't have those attributes. So when you look at a player like Pelica that doesn't have those attributes, for us, in order to get up there in that top 10, 15 range, they have to be unbelievably dynamic. Think Kel McCarr, who we had extremely highly ranked. Uh, think Miro Hiskinen, who in Americans grown but in his draft season the initial stage he was like 511 buck 60 he's very small um so when you look at when you look at some of those players that are smaller the quinn hughes kel mccars and at that time of the draft season Mariskin, you were looking for a remarkably dynamic player who you really think is your power play one we do not think access and pelican is a power play one we think he could be a useful power play two option um and then when it comes to his ranking overall when it comes to smaller defensemen there are times we've seen it with Niels Lundqvist, who we ranked aggressively. We, yeah. Our staff had him ranked in top 20. Uh, look what happened in the playoffs. Wasn't involved. Why? Because he did not have enough grit, not enough sandpaper, not enough determination. Uh, too easy to play against. You can be easy to play against in the regular season. It's not a problem. You can still be a contributor, still be a plus, plus player if you're a gifted puck mover like Niels Lundqvist. Axel Sander Bellicus falls in the same range. The question for us is – how limited will he be in the playoffs? We think there will be a limitation. That's why he's outside of our top 25. So it's really just a philosophical difference of how we approach it uh, at Hockey Prospect. Well, at number 27, we both have the same player and Edward Saleh. And he is a polarizing player as well. Is He could end up being a barn burner and produce 65, 70 points a year. Or he could not play in the NHL. It, like, he's... Almost almost either or in some respects. And if I'm looking at it in terms of an NHL team, if you're an NHL team that has two picks in the first round and one, say, in the mid-first round or up or higher, and then one at the end, um, that's when you take an Edward Sala so you can mitigate that risk. Because if he hits, boy, it's going to make your organization that much better. Yeah, absolutely. To your point, like the Edward Sala is that player. He's a, if you have two picks in this class and you already solidified your draft, you feel in the first, you know, top 15, 20 picks and Shala is on the table. That's when you start swinging. He's very similar to Arthur, Arthur Kaliev. Uh, when when L.A. felt they solidified their draft and they had the opportunity to take the right. home run swing, they took it on Kaliev. I feel like that might be what occurs here with Edward Shala. Um, for our staff, I'll, I'll be honest with everyone, we felt vindicated. We were never on board with where everybody had this player, top 10, top 50. We just never got there. Uh, at the end of the year, we certainly felt more validated, more vindicated by what occurred. He, This is a really impressive, talented playmaking uh, forward that has incredible issues off the puck in terms of his pacing. Uh, in, very inconsistent. 
I think you can make an argument he had one of the worst draft years out of any draft eligible relative to what was expected when you saw him at 16 and where he where you could project him. Uh, in, in the book, I mentioned, you know, we think he'd be a middle six forward and and, and become more of a hybrid player where he, where he has a power game. Well, none of that, none of that's going to come to fruition if he doesn't really change his thought process. To be honest, the last player yeah. I could think of that operates the way he did that really was talented but worried us was Oscar Lawson. Uh, Oscar Lawson's incredibly talented player, but there was an off switch. There was, a, you know, what there's there's a quote in the Black Book. I'll give one. And the NHL scout says, "I wonder if he enjoys the game." And that's exactly how people felt about Oscar Lawson. That's exactly how people feel about Edward Shallow. If he does, and it's just one of those years where his confidence wasn't up and he felt that, you know, things didn't go well for him for whatever reason, and he and he turns the corner, then he's going to make this ranking look very bad. But at this time, as you mentioned, have to take risk into consideration, and that's why he's as late as he is. Uh, number 28, this is where you guys have Alexander Rykov. Uh, I'm not far behind you. Um, we're in a similar um, – but I also I have another Russian, just a different Russian, Mikhail Guliev. Um, it's only because I think Guliev he has potential to be a four, but maybe if probably a five, um, and a guy who can help on your second unit power play. You know, there he has some limitations in that respect. So, like this is another guy similar to Salah. With if you have an extra first round pick, there's you can take that risk at the bottom. Um, talk a little bit about Rycroft there at uh, number twenty eight. Yeah, Alex Rykov, um, I think he's the dark horse of this class. I I, I really, truly value this player type. Uh, extremely intelligent 200-foot player who kind of falls in the Ryan Leonard category of where he's he's very efficient, but yeah. he, he's not a specialist. He's just very well-rounded. Um, in terms of projecting him, one thing that's difficult about Rykov is he played in the VHL his whole season and he was undersized. So what you see is not what you get. Uh, one thing that might differ between us and what you might see publicly out there is that uh, in terms of his offensive ceiling, we think that he has a bonafide top nine ceiling. Uh, and if you look at his numbers and peel back the layers, they're way more impressive than you would first think. In fact, for a minimum of 20 games played for a first year eligible who's 17 is full season in the VHL, best numbers. The only player that, that beats him out, Valerian Nechushkin, but that's in the 15 games. So when you look at his production, you look what you saw on ice, the on-ice product, our entire staff was on board. We really thought that he was a very valuable player and one that is very likely to play in the NHL. We're going to take a quick break. And for our last segment on segment eight, we'll go 29 to 32 and wrap up the first round right after these short messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio in our final segment of our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 3 as we break down 1-32 to 32, powered by Outside Edge Hockey. Player development on and off ice training features KPI-based conditioning programs at outsideedge.ca. So at number 29 on HockeyProspect.com's list, you guys have Easton Cowan from the London Knights. And this is where I have Theo Lindstein. I just thought you talk about a dependable number four. That's where I thought Lindstein would fit in terms of his overall grading. A guy that's just, that's a safe pick at the end of the first round, right? And this is where you can take risks at the end of the first. But I just like sometimes there is a value in being safe. And that's why I had Lindstein there. Talk about um, having Easton Cowan at number 29. Easton Cowan, uh, one of those players where he's more than the sum of his parts. You look at his skating, it's uh, it's okay. You, you look at his uh, his technical ability in terms of his shooting, it's okay. Uh, his playmaking is probably his best quality, but you would never really label as like always, you know, dynamic Will Smith style playmaker, right? Right. It makes some high end passes, but not nearly as consistently as you would label like most of the top six playmakers in this class. Uh, what, where Easton Cowan gains a ton of ground is in two areas. One, remarkably competitive, unbelievably driven. You can the, the, the second you see him on the ice, you know that he's out there because he's always in the right spot at the right time. He's always well positioned. And he's a workhorse. And those are the two really foundational building blocks of this player. Um, you know what? There's, there's some similarities. This is a, this is Mark Edwards, bar none favorite player in this class. It's Easton Cowan. He's been, he's been, he was hitting the table all year for him. Uh, really thought he, you know, uh, to Mark's credit, this is a kid who really showed a lot in the playoffs. When it, when it mattered most, he stepped up, which is totally expected with this player type. Uh, but he reminds me a lot of Adam Sikora. 
Uh, Adams right, last who we year, talked about last year. Yeah, we talked about a lot. I really liked him, but the limitation was the ceiling. Yeah, you really have to project him more as a third liner, right? And, yeah. and that's that's Easton Cowan, but uh, but in terms of end. floor. Yeah, yeah, we think we think it's think the floor is extremely high. Uh, again, we love the development system. We love London's development system. Um, we know that the the hunters are huge fans of, of Cowan and his game, and uh, we think that there's another level for him to get through. And uh, you know, the last time we, we were pretty aggressive on a on a very intelligent and competitive winger uh, from that system was Luke Evangelista, and I'm sure Nashville's uh, pretty happy right now well considering the development of, of even delista he's been fantastic for nashville so uh when we look at the long-term projection we think that he could be an extremely useful uh almost adam sakura style defensive specialist he just really needs to increase that skating adam sakura is a much better skater than cowan uh was uh, relative in his draft season so that that's the big that's the big factor that you have to take into consideration at number 30 we both have the same player um, and for listeners out there, I didn't see um, HockeyProspect.com's list until we just started jumping on air. We started to record this show. So interesting that we, and it doesn't happen very often, usually once or maybe twice, uh, we have them at the same at David Instrum. And you and I see this player very sim- similar um, from that respect. But from a collective group, what was the thoughts on David Edstrom? Yeah, uh, David Edstrom is a power playmaker. So again, favorite player type. Um, and he has throwback. He's a Swede who plays a game like a North American style player, uh, or like a Viking, <laughs> more like a, or like a Viking, which he's built like. So it's that's what you want. So you have a six-two, two hundred-pound kid. Maybe he's a, under that slightly, but he, good frame, six-two. We'll fill it out. Uh, in terms of how he functions, he's one of those players that creates havoc around the net area. He's hard to contain, hard to box out. He'll be the player yeah. that gets in the jam in goals, gets the net front goals. But the, the big thing about him that's interesting is that he's very quick within how he processes one-touch playmaking. That's where he's very intriguing. You know, when you first look at him, I feel like he looks more like a functional fourth liner that you want on a team. But then you start peeling back more layers and you see how his playmaking rates hit in the SHL at this stage of his development. And, and I you start thinking maybe, third line maybe he's a third line center. Maybe yeah. he can get there. And if he gets there, then then that's what that's that's basically what our, our ranking is. is yeah. If you look at 30th or if he could be a third line center, then that's the hit. That's the hit that you want, especially when you factor in playoff. Uh, he's a playoff contributor. And he's, a, and he's a big bodied centerman, right? Like that's the whole rationale for me at that spot at the same, same way. When I, when I pump the, all the data into my system and I press the button and it spits out the list, you know, I have preferences and biases uh, built in along with obviously, you know, weightings. And that's where it all, it came out from that standpoint. So intriguing at number 31, this is where you guys have Adar Suniev from Penticton, the BC hockey league. Um, interesting. Cause I, I have David, uh, I have Danny Nelson, with some similar aspects to Edstrom, they're not exactly the same player, but it's really about the floor ceiling and a projected can Danny play as a third liner on a team that's valuable in the playoffs. And that's where like the more, I guess, uh, conservative aspect came in from, from, I can see it from that standpoint. So I really want to get your thoughts on Suniev because I had him a little bit later, but not far behind you guys. I had him at 38 on my list. Yeah, Edor Suneev, again, power playmaker. The, the biggest differences between Edstrom and Suneev is Edstrom is a better skater at the stage of development, but Suneev is the, the, the playmaker that actually knows how to incorporate deception within his first phase of attack. So when, when you're looking for the primary playmakers, you're looking for how they use offlooks, how they incorporate exaggerated postural face 
so that they can manipulate and angle the defense in a way that it opens and readjusts the lanes for them. Adrian Shunev does a better job with that at this stage of his development than David Edstrom does. He is uh, older than Edstrom too, though, so you have to factor that in, take that into account. Um, but Sunev, Sunev is one of those players that when you look at how he operates long-term, he's going to be a player that forces defenseman to play heavy minutes against him because he can fight through board battles effectively. He, when, when uh, a defenseman tries to squeeze him out, he's the type who's going to be able to fight through those checks and find a way to get a high danger pass off. Right. So that that's, that's the foundational part of him. He just needs to become a better functional skater and then just increase his overall consistency. Even though he put up a ton of points in the BCHL, there were some nights where you were expecting uh, more from him and even strength instead of him just relying so much on the power play. So uh, I, we like him. We all, have a lot of time for him at, at uh, Hockey Prospect and he's one of those situations where even though he's in the BCHL we try to envision what he would look like in the NHL one day and if things go right we, we think he could have a long and, and very useful career. I agree uh, from that standpoint. At number 32 this is where you guys have the, <clears throat> the best interview <clears throat> that I had at the Combine and that's Casper Hultonen. He was hysterical <clears throat> as a player. And I really understand why you guys have him at that spot. I have him a few spots higher, um, really tight in that respect. At number 32 is where I have Nate Danielson. It's really about the risk versus reward with Danielson. And I was more conservative on my and being a little bit more risk averse in that standpoint. So that's why you went there. But let's let's talk about Casper Holton. And um, man, like <clears throat> when you talk about Finns and what is the, the, the identifying thing in their culture, it's Sisu. It's like, roughly translates into grit and he personifies it as a person. Um, and he actually in, wants, he, he engages physically on purpose. He He's combative. He's combative on purpose. He actually enjoys it. Um, and that's the kind of player you want to have in the playoffs. So I just, and he has a, an enthusiasm about him that is infectious from that standpoint, from a, you know, a mental emotional standpoint. Yeah, he's uh, you know it, it's interesting watching his his curve. When he was in the Oakridge system, he was just so uncoordinated, mechanically all over the map, and and just lethal shooter. And that was the real standout quality. Was when he was in the Oakridge system, unbelievable shooting upside. Translate to Helsinki at the start of the season, we felt that he was not where he needed to be. Liga was not the right area for him in terms of his development, and it, and it rarely is for developing power forwards. And so. Um, what we felt was that he stagnated a lot in the first half of the season, but then once he got back to U20 Saria, then he started ended up in Mestis, then he gets the U18s. We felt that there was a positive uptick in his curve in a huge way. The big thing with him is he is one of the most dangerous goal scorers in this class. The reason we put him slightly behind Edstrom and Snev is his playmaking upside is nowhere near where they are. His playmaking rates are below average. That's where he needs to improve in order to become uh, the top nine projection that we have for him. No, I agree with that assessment uh, wholeheartedly. And there's something about having big what, – what do coaches love in the NHL? Big, strong wingers. You can go up and down the wing and bang and crash and create time and space and wear out defensemen and get timely goals. So really intriguing player. So this has been another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Fractal Hockey Consulting, and Outside Edge Player Development. I hope you enjoyed our 1 through 32 list. Uh, stay tuned for next week because we're going to go do all the whole second round as well from 33 to 64. You can listen to the show on your favorite podcast network uh, or on the Sirius app 
as well or on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at HP Radio. And you can check us out at HockeyProspectRadio.com. Thank you as well for Brad. I'm Shane Malloy, and we will see you at the rink. <laughs>